0: Plans were already established. Families had vacation plans. Companies had business endeavors that they hoped to seek and fulfill. Even as 2020 slowly began into the month of February, New Year's resolutions were either being completed or dropped, as many resolutions do in a New Year. But little did anyone know that their plans would be significantly altered in just a matter of a few weeks as COVID-19 began. You know, the week leading up to the shutdown for most of us that we experience that week, I remember having a conversation with our discipleship pastor about how we were going to have to begin to think through making plans for our church because I knew what was about to happen I was over all of our volunteers and I knew they were about to begin to panic as as many in the world were doing and we were going to have to find a way to assure them and comfort them that if we were together we needed to think through these things little did I know by Wednesday that a conversation would happen and I would already begin to have volunteers drop out i had already had confirmed eight to ten workers in our nursery. I had already had, I think, our ten volunteers for Hope Kids worked out. I'd already had our six greeters confirmed and ready to stand in and serve. Thursday came and then Friday came. We were shut down. All those plans seemed to go by the wayside each week was trying to figure out when we would gather next what that would look like how things were to look how discipleship was going to look in our church how i as a a small group leader was going to meet and care for our small group all of those plans were thrown up in the air everyone having to adjust now while much tragedy came with COVID-19, we we saw death come for many. We saw this pandemic, this deadly disease and virus affect so many. So while it was a sad time, there was also a good part that came from COVID-19 to our surprise. We began to be forced to hold plans more loosely than ever. Think about how often we... Make plans and hold them and thinking, OK, once they're set, we're done. Everything's going to go off without a hitch. We're not going to need to adjust. It's hey, smooth sailing. The COVID-19 has forced us to reconsider that. How to make plans but hold them looser than ever. And that's what James is going to bring us to see this morning, that that is a good thing. That we need to make plans and yet we need to hold them loosely. That's where we pick up in James chapter 4 in verse 13. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn there. Or if you want to grab a pew Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 856. While you're turning there. As we've been continuing to make our way through the book of James, we've been seeing that James continues over and over and over again to call us to a true and pure faith. A faith that is not just full of mere empty words, but full of works. A faith that is pure in how we speak. A faith that is pure in the way we act. A faith that is pure in everything we do. But even here in four thirteen through 17 this morning, we're going to see that James is calling us to not only a pure faith in those ways, but a pure faith even as we make plans. So follow along as I read from God's word in James 4, 13 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. It is sin. Now here's the main point, I think, of James 4, 13 through 17. The best laid plans are nothing compared to the sovereign plans of the Lord. Therefore, Christian, plan accordingly, but submit those plans to God. Let me repeat that. The best laid plans are nothing compared to the sovereign plans of the Lord. Therefore, Christian, Plan accordingly, but submit those plans to God. We're going to look at this in two points. Point number one, making plans in arrogance. Point number two, making plans in humility. Let's look at point number one, making plans in arrogance. So far, we've seen James mostly address his audience as brothers and sisters. But as we saw last week, all of a sudden here in James 4, 4, he says, you adulterous People, But now, here in James 4.13, we see him address in another way. Come now, you who say. Now, if you've read ahead and, and been reading through the book of James, like I've tried to encourage you to be doing, you notice that come now is also repeated in 5.1. And just as as plans go, your, your pastor, in, in reading the last few weeks, has seen this come now. And thought originally I was going to preach James 5 1 through 6 along with James 4 13 through 17 but these are two different they're similar this come now is a significant change of address in the way that the James is addressing his audience come now pay attention like this is significant pay attention folks who he's writing to But he's almost here shifting to multiple audiences as he's writing this come now. Particular, as we're going to see next week, he's writing to a group he does not acknowledge at all to be believers. James 5, 1 through 6, he is not saying that there's any hope that these are actually believers in Christ. That they're so evil and vile that there is no hope in them. There is no way that at this time that they are believers. There's hope that they will repent. But their actions right now are so vile, there's no way they're Christians. Here in James 4.13-17 through 17, though, he's doubtful. But he has a glimmer of hope. We see that in verse 15. If he... The Lord, or instead, you ought to say this this kind of glimmer of hope, like, okay, come on, get this right. You're you're arrogant, you're I'm doubtful, but come on, repent here. That's who James is writing to here in James 4:13 through 17. A group that is so arrogant, so sinful in denying God's will and his commands that he's doubtful, but he's hopeful. So keep that in mind as we study this morning in James 4:13. Through seventeen this morning. But his address for now, while he addresses the rich in five, one through six, in four thirteen through seventeen, he's addressing a different group. He's addressing the businessmen of the day, the tradesmen. Notice what it says there in, in four thirteen. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Here in this section, he's addressing the businessmen in their planning of business. They make plans to go and do their trade business. But there's an issue. It's not that they made plans. Making plans is not the issue. Making plans and arrogance is. Notice their their arrogant assumptions. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make profit. They presume to go to this or that city. They presume that they are going to make profit off their trade business. They assume that their plans will not go interu- or get interrupted. They assume that their plans will are going to be carried out because they assume they are sovereign over their own lives. That's the arrogance that they are assuming here. Friends, we are in danger if we think that to make plans is to make a sovereign decision, that by making our plans and establishing them, that somehow they're going to be carried out perfectly. That there is no way they will be interrupted to make such assertions, to make such bold claims is an arrogant part of our heart. Why? Because we like to think we're in charge. We like to think we're the boss. We like to think that by good planning, nothing can go wrong. Friends, I don't care if you're the, the best planner out there working for the uh, Fortune 500 company in logistics, your planning at times is going to fail. But to think that it won't is pure arrogance. Because you're, you're living as if God doesn't exist. That outside circumstances don't exist. To make plans and boast in saying these things will certainly take place is vile. Why? Because we are not omnipotent. We're not omniscient. We're not everywhere and all knowing. We're finite beings. Look at what it says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist and that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We make plans as if we are always going to be here. We make plans as if we know what's to come. We make plans and presume upon those plans. Again, planning is not what is to be despaired right here. Planning in itself is good and right. And we're going to unfold that a little bit more in point two. But now we need to see this arrogance in planning. That's what's at stake. That's the issue here. James is writing to his audience. These who are in dispersion, these who are scattered abroad and living in foreign territory, think that they know what's going to happen. They're already in the midst of trials and tribulations. They're already in the midst of sufferings. And yet they, they had the arrogant heart to think that we make plans. These things are going to come and be. Friends, our our plans are only that in the best of circumstances, let alone in the midst of trials and sufferings. In the moments of peace, you can make plans and they might go off most of the time without a hitch. But all it takes is one thing to come in and those plans are significantly altered. And this is what is being addressed. Those that would make these plans and boast with certainty as if they're going to come about hearts that presume that these plans aren't to be hindered. They're not to be chains, changed hearts that presume the results will be prosperous. Forgetting again that they are not God, but finite beings. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Friends, do you realize that as you make plans? That we are finite creatures. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's exactly what James is bringing up there in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If we don't know what tomorrow will bring, how do we know what a year from now will bring? How do we know as we go about and make this trade business, how do you know it's going to succeed so you can make profit? To use an illustration a little closer to home, imagine you're in Northwoods, Wisconsin or the suburbs of Chicago and have a snow removal business for the winter season. You're going to thrive in those areas because snow is constant. You don't shut down when things Snow comes. You keep going. Every aspect of life keeps going. I had a job where I drove and surveyed light poles. And guess what? We didn't stop when it snowed unless it was significant. They would have us out on the roads at 6 a.m. doing those surveys. Snow removal was crucial. But now imagine you have that same company in the business where you depend on most of your income and you move to Centralia or even worse to Chattanooga, Tennessee, you might one week or one day a year have some decent business, but what's going to happen the rest of the year? You're not going to make it. The, these traders presume where they're going that they're going to have success the same way that they did where they're from. They assume their trade is going to be acceptable. Now what good would it do to, to go out and, and sell a bunch of ice fishing equipment here in Centralia? None. None. Now where my in-laws live, they're going to thrive in that because the lake is covered in ice most of the year. But these arrogant traitors presume, they presume that these plans are going to stick. They assume that what they do, they thought through every significant scenario that could come, and it's going to thrive. Their hearts are bent that they're the sovereign ones, that they dictate everything. That's what's going on in the heart. That's the issue here. We attempt to make plans without giving any remembrance or thought to who God is. And to our finite being. This is what's being addressed. Again, it's not the plans. The plans aren't the issue. It's the way our hearts are in making of those plans. We like to elevate ourselves and to live As if we are equal with God. Have you ever thought of that Christian? Friend. When you make plans. What's your heart attitude behind it? Are you making those plans. In thinking that you make all the decisions. And need to give no thought. Maybe God doesn't have the same plan. Maybe what I think is certain. Isn't going to come. If that's our heart attitude, we need to hear this warning. Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will do. Because our hearts are given over to sin. We aren't the sovereign ones. We need to see the vileness of this. Notice even there in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is your boast there in verse 16, in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. They ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But they don't. They don't consider the Lord. They push him aside and say, my plans are final. I'm sovereign. I know what's going to happen this is set. They don't leave any room for where my plans could be significantly changed. It's an arrogant assumption. But whether we realize it or not, we're often guilty of such. We're guilty of such in subtle ways. Maybe we're not as boastful and say, you know what? I'm going to make plans and I'm going to go start this company and we're going to make a million dollars in the next year of profit. It may happen. But maybe more dangerously we're saying, you know what? Next week I'm gonna do this, and when those plans backfire, we're thinking, Man, I just must have not planned well enough. Hmm. No, it's we're not sovereign. That's the little ways our hearts are given over to sin and to arrogance. We think that it was all left to our in the planning. We think that if, if we just make the perfect plans, nothing's going to happen. I'm sure none of you ladies have ever done that at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Making perfect plans for your family, meal, and something goes wrong. And then you become discouraged in despair because it didn't go the way you thought. Guess what? You're not sovereign We're not meant to be. As we make plans, we're not to make them in such a way of such assertion and arrogance. Thinking that this will go the way we planned it out. We need to hold these plans loosely as when we make them. And we don't need to make those plans in arrogance, but in humility. And that's where we shift in our second point this morning. Plans are crucial. I told you I was coming back to this part. Planning is important. You don't just go through life and don't make plans. If you think James 4.13 and 17, or if you have previously thought that it's about don't make plans, just go with the flow, uh eh. That's not what the Bible's point is. That's not what James is trying to say. In fact, I think James would encourage us, make those plans. Make them. Be diligent. Make these plans. But hold them in looseness. Proverbs even tells us this. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. While planning in arrogance is evil, the one who fails to plan is going to be in poverty. The one who fails to plan will find themselves in Poverty using a, a farming illustration because, one, it's what I'm familiar with, but it's also what the Bible often uses. It, for, for the one who, who doesn't plan to, to harvest or plant their crops at the right time of the year and doesn't plan to harvest them at the right time, guess what? They're not going to have food for the winter. Now... Put yourselves in a a situation and culture where you're dependent upon this. You don't have Aldi. You don't have Walmart. You don't have the local grocery store. You, You depend upon only that, what you bring in. If you don't plan, you don't survive. There's no bailout option. Planning is important. It's essential. You know, we make plans... In our families, we make plans in our businesses. We make plans in the church. We make plans. Everything depends upon plans. And those plans in themselves are not evil once more. You know, as a family, we make plans. We make plans to guard the dinner table. One of, one of the things, even the church council, in, in trying to schedule the, our next meeting, Uh, It was like we can't do six o'clock because we want to guard the dinner table. We already eat at five o'clock multiple times a week so we can do our Wednesday prayer time and and Bible study on Thursdays. We need we need a decent night for for dinner because we guard that we take seriously our, our family dinner. Why? because it's a time of intentionality. It's a plan that my wife is far better than I am of being intentional with our girls and asking the highs and lows of the day even with a three-year-old. What were the good parts of the day? What were the bad parts? Why did you not like that part? Why did you like this? Telling jokes, lots of knock-knock jokes. We make plans to guard that dinner table because it's important. We make plans to to try our best most nights of the week to do family worship where we read a Jesus storybook story out of the Jesus storybook Bible or some other book that talks about our faith. And then we try to make plans to sing after in family worship. But you know, even as we make those plans, we don't hold them so tightly in arrogance thinking that these plans are going to go off without hindrance. We don't hold them thinking that if we failed, you know, that's on us. We know interruptions are gonna happen. We know life's going to happen. Life's gonna get busy, and we're gonna have to interrupt it this week, or, or this is gonna happen. But we have to make those plans. We also make plans in the business world. I worked for eight years in college athletics eight years doing logistics for a four billion dollar industry college athletics is a four billion dollar industry but guess what that doesn't happen without the planning behind the scenes that nobody thinks about all the the things you see watching a college or nfl game or the baseball game they don't happen your beloved cardinals may their season rest in peace Uh, in ending, guess what? Yesterday, somebody planned for them to make sure all their equipment was out and ready. They planned for them to have a meal afterwards. That the players would have given them X amount of dollars. I don't know what the majors do. I know at AAA, it was twenty-five dollars. Uh, an equipment guy would be given to to put a meal together for for the whole team. That all was planned and carried out. All of those logistics. For me, in in my job doing college football, I had to plan to make sure we had every player's jersey, every player's pants, the right combination of it, all packed and on a truck to travel, whether to our home site or on the road. For eight years, I did this. All those logistics, having to think through every scenario. Sometimes weeks we would have to pack fans for the sidelines, others heaters, sometimes both, depending on the weather and the environment. We had to plan all of those details. If it was going to be pouring down rain, we had to make sure our sideline parkers were there. Planning went into all of it. Detailed planning. Planning, again, is not the evil. It's a necessity for us to thrive in life. We even had a saying, just in case. J-I-C. Hey, are we going to take this? Yep, J-I-C, just in case. Because we had to plan for the unexpected. But even in that, even as diligent as we were, we knew we could not hit every scenario. There was weeks we had to adjust on the fly because our planning was flawed. Again, we did this for a $4 billion industry. We weren't knuckleheads. We had to put thought and detail into it. But that planning had to be held loosely. We make plans within the church. Again, even going back to our our introduction, the week of preparing for COVID. Plans were being made for the upcoming services. I'm sure it was here before I got here. Those plans were quickly interrupted though. Those plans of who was singing and what songs were going to be sung and, and bulletins were probably almost ready. And it all got put by the wayside because of the unexpected plans are made even wise plans I had a, a missionary friends of ours in East Asia serving they were due a furlough a furlough if, if you're unfamiliar with the mission world is is where you take significant time of leave to come off the field and come home for for a time being typically about three months to six months time These missionaries were preparing to do a furlough the summer of 2020. But because where they were, everything was already shut down. The elders uh, alongside of them said, why don't you go ahead and take this furlough? We can't do anything anyways. Why don't you all take your furlough here early, three months ahead of time, and go take it. And then that way when this thing opens up here in a little bit, you can be back and we can get started again and go back to work. You we know, get our boots on the ground and go. Little did they know when they came home, they would never go back. They would never return to the place they had called home for the past three or four years. Everything that would have to be packed up and sent out by others that were still in the city that they had grown to love and the people that they had grown to care for serving for. The best laid plans are messed up. Plans, again, though, are essential. We make them in every area of life. But these plans have to be held loosely. As Christians, we have to hold them loosely because we have to remember we are not God. We are finite. We do not know what today or tomorrow will bring. Therefore, we must make plans, yes, But we must make plans and submit them to God. Again, James isn't encouraging us to not make plans. He's encouraging us to make them, but be ready to give them over to God. To hold them so loose that you say, these are not mine, Lord. I am yours. So let your will be done and not mine. Those who make plans are the very opposite of this. They make these plans in their arrogance, saying, what I want is what's going to go. I'm going to make these sovereign plans, and I'm going to make sure they are carried out no matter what. But those plans will not succeed. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Unless we commit, Our work to the Lord our plans will never thrive sure you may for a season get what you want what you pursue but your plans will not last if you do not commit them to the Lord we can plan all day long the best laid plans are nothing compared to the sovereign plan of the Lord Because it is He and His sovereignty who makes sure His plans are carried out in perfect detail to every last bit. The King, the Lord, the Almighty makes sure His plans are followed. That His will is established. Why would we not submit plans to Him and His will? Christian, the posture of our heart doesn't necessarily have to be that Where Every time we make plans, if the Lord wills it, we will do this or that. We don't have to use that same verbiage every time. But the posture of our heart better be that way. If we're making plans without a posture of heart of, Okay, Lord, I'm making these, but my life's yours. We're missing it. And we're as guilty of this arrogance and planning as those in James's day were. I use the phrase posture of heart because, again, it's a heart issue. James is after a true and pure faith, and that begins in the heart. What is going on in our heart, Christian? We may on the outside say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. But you don't give any thought to it in your heart. You're going through the motions. Don't just go through the motions. Give your heart to God because he and he alone is the one whose plans will not be interrupted. It's he who plans it all. But you know, the reality of this is this should both bring us comfort and hope. Again, think back to all the ways we try to make plans and are tempted to despair. When we realize that it's not dependent upon us and our plans, we have room to fail. Christian, you have room to invite people over to your house and those plans not go the way you looked. It's okay. It's not going to look like you intended. That family gathering, you're going to plan here for a big celebration coming up next month. Guess what? It's okay if it doesn't go the way you planned. Planning a wedding, it's okay if it doesn't go as planned. It doesn't matter because it's ultimately not your plans. You submit it to God. Being willing that He may have other plans. Plans that you may think at the moment come as an inconvenience and yet are a blessing. That He works somehow through it, even in the midst of tragedy, to work for your heart and your allegiance to Him. Realize our plans don't have to be what is finite or what is infinite. We know the one who is. We know the God who is over it all. Submit your plans to him and be comforted in that. But also knowing that his plans are sovereign, let that give us hope. Christian, if God is sovereign over plans and he alone, guess what? Every plan he has established will come to be. When he says, It is my plans to bring every tongue of every tribe of every nation to praise me, it's coming. There's going to be people in heaven from every tongue of every tribe of every nation around the throne praising God for all eternity. Because his plans aren't hindered, they're not stopped like ours. His plans are sovereign. Nothing stops Him. Not the greatest army. Not the greatest planning against. His plans are final. Christian, our hope rests in such sovereign planning. Because if it wasn't for this sovereign plan, we would have no salvation. We would have no hope. So when we're tempted to think that we need to trust in our own plans, we need to look to the ultimate plan of God because it was God's plan to send His Son to crush Him on the cross so that we could have life. And it was the Son's perfect submission to that will and that plan that leads to your salvation and mine. Jesus, in Mark's Gospel, in the 14th chapter, and the 36th verse, says... And He, being Jesus, said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what You will. Jesus knew what was coming. His plan, if left to Himself, might have been to go away and skip the cross, but He submitted Himself to the Father and His will. To His plan of salvation. The plan that was worked out from eternity past. He submitted to it. He went willingly to the cross where He was crucified and died. Where He would be dead in the grave, buried for two full days and on the third rise again. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, submitted wholly and perfectly to the sovereign plan of the Lord, the Father, In his perfect submission to the perfect plan, salvation comes for all who will believe, all who will trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Without submission to the perfect plan of the Father, there is no hope. Christian, if the Son, in his perfect obedience, submitted to the plan of the Father, Why are we often so resistant? Why do we often struggle in this? We need to look and behold the Son in His obedience. We need to look to Him and see that without that, we don't have hope. And may that drive us to further obedience. May that drive us to more submission to the plans of God instead of our own plans. Yes, let us be diligent in making plans, but let us hold them so loosely and saying, God, it's not my will, but yours. Had I had my way 10 years ago, almost to the day I'd be serving overseas as a missionary. That's where I thought God's plans were taking me. I thought God's plans were taking me overseas to the nations to the Middle East in particular. For various reasons that plan did not work out. For one, mostly access to those countries is extremely hard. With my background in sports business, there was limited opportunities. And the Lord began to put a different plan in my heart to labor, to build the church, to serve the local church, to raise up and send out others, to declare the glories of God, for young people to think through it, especially those who have not even gone to college. Think through not just how to use their careers to pursue the interest of their own hearts, but to pursue God's plans. How can I use my career to serve the glory of God? Maybe in the United States, but maybe in Afghanistan or Pakistan, Eritrea, China. It's funny how God's plans change our hearts. His plans don't change, but he reorients our steps because his plans are perfect. Christian, let us submit to these perfect plans. Let's submit our very lives to it. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know this sovereign God. And his sovereign plan to send his son to die on the cross. I want you to pay close attention. Because you may think I've got plenty of time to get this decision right. You don't know what today or tomorrow will bring. You may be gone by tomorrow. What are you waiting for? Your plans, your thoughts cannot escape God's. You already see how you are a finite being before a holy God. The only way you can stand before him is by submitting to him, acknowledging your sin and turning from it. Trusting in Jesus, and Jesus alone for salvation. Trusting that in his obedience to the perfect plan of the Father, that there is a plan of perfect salvation for all who will turn and trust in Jesus. Believe that today. Make that your own faith. Not your parents or grandparents. Make it yours. Trust in Jesus today. And believe in Him. Friends, our plans can be a good thing, but we must hold them loosely. We must see that they are not perfect, that we have limited knowledge of what will come. Therefore, we need to make those plans with all due diligence, but we need to hold them loosely by submitting them to God and His perfect plan and knowing that it will not be stopped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You